Missed the early deadline for the 2024 Shorty Awards? No problem. Next deadline is February 8th. Plenty of time to go to shortyawards.com to apply. Oh, and next week, big news to share about our next season of this podcast starting in January. Stay tuned. Welcome to It's No Fluke, where nothing happens by accident, and every creator's journey is way more impactful than the destination. Tiffany Springle has the rare double gift of immediately grabbing your attention, then turning that attention into positive action. Tiffany is an actor, improviser, comedian, singer, writer, and host. As the host of the Shorty Award-winning Roe v. Bros, Tiffany uses humor, knowledge sharing, to motivate voter turnout and a thoughtful discussion regarding bodily autonomy. Regardless of the medium, Tiffany's motivated by worth is refreshing, new, and sparks thoughtful discussion. We chat about the many, many things men do not know about the female body, hilariously, why that matters so much always, but right now in particular, how comedy changes and we have to be willing to change with it, and we find some ways to laugh along the way. Let's go. Tiffany, thanks so much for joining. Congrats on the win. Tell me how this all got started and why. Oh, yeah. Sure. Let's just jump on in. Um, so, I mean, this whole – so we did our first videos about a year ago, um, early November of last year. And so this whole year has been – you know, I was feeling really nostalgic from the awards because, you know, we made them thinking it would be a one-off thing. Um, you know, it was kind of magical the way it all came together, but it was – there was no expectations. So. Um, I was the last piece of the puzzle, essentially. Um, the rest, we have a small, small team, and um, there are some really good bros, actually, uh, Billy, Ivan, and Brian. And they had realized the hypocrisy of, um, you know, we live in this patriarchal society, and, you know, a lot of the conversations that are being had and the people in power making those decisions are not the people experiencing those issues. Um, so we, they had wanted to create um, a video that kind of addresses the hypocrisy of that and then also gives power to the people that it does affect to just remind them to go vote. So really well-intentioned. Um, but they wanted to make sure there were women on board. And, um, you know, I do comedy and I have done a lot of on the street videos, just like I self-produced that kind of line up. And so um, I didn't know anyone initially, but Brian uh, had found my work and my stuff, I think, on a comedy theater's website. I'm on some house teams and stuff. So he uh, reached out and, um, you know, I'm usually pretty hesitant if someone just like reaches out out of nowhere. But I had a really good feeling about the way he presented the material and um, and I believed in it. And I think like as a female in America, you know, I think it's easy to feel kind of, you know, how can I be making a positive contribution um, and uh, do it in a way that's not like, I guess, aggressive in a negative way is actually leading to action. Um, so he presented the idea to me. And I loved it. I was on board. And um, we had about a week, I think, to compile questions and figure it out. We did it all through phone conversation. Um, the iconic suit that people recognize, we didn't even think that was going to come together. Like we, um, you know, I had a couple outfits I brought the day of filming because we didn't, we truly didn't know. Um, but uh, we all met the day of, did one afternoon of filming. You know, we had to adjust in the moment. Everything I'm doing is truly a conversation I'm having with the individuals on tape. So, you know, uh, I use that yes and improv background of just like whoever you get, you're just going to try to 
have a conversation with them. But like, uh, you know, uh, what was interesting is that the same kind of answers were coming up no matter who it was. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a a short afternoon and we had about a week of editing and we released it. I had never even been on TikTok till the day of release um, because I've been doing so much other internal like producing of work, but like more in a conventional way of um, comedy and uh, self-producing. And so, yeah, we created the account, no viewers, no like subscribers, no like platform backing us up. And um, I think the fact that it picked up like within a week, we had millions of views. And I mean, we were on like my grandmother saw us on the news being talked about and she doesn't even understand what computers are. And um, wonderful, you know, so yeah, so it picked up in this really interesting, shocking way. Um, But I think it's because society you know, this is a thought we all are having. And I think it framed it in a way that could start the conversation and motivate people to actually, once again, go out and vote. So, yeah. Well, I, it was like polite Jordan Klepper, right? It yeah, was, yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was showcasing these things, but n- not full gotcha. Like, one of the things I loved uh, how you were doing it is that if you watch them in, in order, you, mm-hmm. you start to notice that you have a very polite, okay. Just, you know, I, you're not even close, but okay. Yeah, I think like, well, Jordan Klepper also is an improviser and we both Mm -hmm. have a UCB background. So I think it lines up a lot in that way. But internally, I think the same thing. Like, I think Jordan is so smart about like the zingers and uh, Mm -hmm. really just like going in. But um, I'm always authentic to my personality and I'm not an aggressive person. I'd rather listen and then what presents itself is then where we move forward. So um, I think that just is organically just me how I would do on the street. But um, but yeah, I think like that's also what's so interesting is we've done these in different states and different street corners, different times of the year, and we get the same kind of answers. And so it's not about the individual so much as presenting that this is a societal issue and we need to like talk about it. So is yeah. that helpful or terrifying that you get the same answer? Um. Well, I think like just in general, how I approach any sort of thing that you want to move forward from is like, okay, let's identify what the issue is first, Mm because then we can like now take the action. So internally in our meetings, we're always I think I think the reason our videos go viral and people are is because it it follows that zinger content that people are familiar with. But it actually has um, some depth Mm -hmm. to it. And it is actually we're not just like, you know, showing wrong answers and then leaving people to just like make fun of these individuals. That's not the point of it is to educate. And it's also to we always leave with an action call. So it's like, Mm -hmm. hey, remember voting is happening here or, hey, this is like the time of the month that people are talking about parental leave. Let's share this so that people are having conversations of how they can maybe protest and want to um, advocate for parental leave in a, a more uh, fair way. So yeah, we always try to lead with that. But I mean, because I'm in comedy, I'm always going to lead with the humor first, because I think that's how you can talk about things that otherwise would make people upset. So yeah, it's a pretty powerful balance, you know? Right. And you draw the humor out of people in this case, right? You kind of have to, you kind of have to direct where it's going. You might have an idea, I'm sure, what you, I mean, you never fully know what somebody's going to give you for an answer. No, no, you don't. Yeah, no, definitely not. But but I do agree with what you're saying. Like, you do need to, and I think that's where my improv background comes in. And like, the, you know, I, I host my own podcast and other, I've done other hosting 
stuff. So you do kind of have to recognize, okay, what is this person giving me? And then be maybe a couple steps ahead just to like um, be aware of what you're trying to at least have address. But um, yeah, but yeah, I I don't think we really have to do much, you know, because this is just the conversation. Um, But yeah, there's definitely ways that we could be much more ill-intentioned or mean spirited. Mm -hmm. And we, it's always like a tricky balance because we do want people to feel something when they're watching it because that leads to action, but it's not about the individual essentially is the balance of what it is. Like, like it is shocking that person said something, but you probably have a friend that would say the same thing under the same circumstances, you know? You know, sometimes it's what the person says. Sometimes it's just the expression of how they say it too. There were a couple reactions, like when the one about parental leave and the guy's like, no, Like he's never contemplated this this scenario. He's like, no. The, the definitely the bros that were trying to figure out how to use a breast pump. And oh yeah, then, yeah, yeah. They then were great. Ask, and then asking very honest questions. They're like, yeah. Well, c- can I can I do it? Can I be helpful? But no, 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 you can't. No. <laughs> yeah, they they were pretty fantastic human beings. Um, yeah, no, and I just like I think that's the thing is we don't normalize these conversations, so of course people are gonna feel yeah. uncomfortable or not know what to do with it. Um, but yeah, they were pretty great. Everyone that day of filming was pretty pretty amazing. And there was a lot of empathy too as they were like discovering these facts and things like that. So that part mm-hmm. was cool too. Like the the thing I think what resonated the most is that there was empathy that you had people who um, were giving you funny responses or you know. There is one where the guy's realization that, uh, you know, women have one more hole and he was like, (laughs) oh, just like surprised as all hell. Like you, you just have to like fall back on that. And you're like, you're doing my work for me. I get it. Uh, Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, if you saw me doing like improv or sketch, like I would be the one landing the joke. Mm -hmm. But like as the host, you know, I'm trying to stay out of the way and just let it play out and and like be a good scene partner as far as like, let's talk about it. But um, yeah, yeah. the reactions and stuff like they speak for themselves. I don't really need to to set no. anything up or or make anything fake it's just what it is you know well that's the it's it's a minute long it's the less is more quality of it that like yeah like it shines but yeah i was gonna ask that and you kind of answered already like i mean i'm sure you have one-liners in your head i'm sure there are things that are popping in but just like you know background and improv sometimes you have to fall back and sometimes you have to lead right yeah yeah, yeah. we have I mean, I'm sure we'll release it eventually, but we have like hours and hours and hours Mm. of truly great content that has not ever been seen yet just because there's so much of it. And um, there's definitely a lot of moments that we have not released, but it's just me like making a one-liner or like, I remember someone, um, they were talking about eggs and they they went with 12. No, they went with Mm. 13. And it was like such a specific number to ask. And I was like, so it's like a like a baker's dozen. dozen. Yeah. And like, so, but you know, it's really not about what kind of witty jokes I can pop off. And it's also, you know, what we try to find is like, often sometimes like the same wrong answer will be given. And I'm like, okay, so we need to showcase that one because it's also going to educate, I'm sure some of the viewers. So (laughs) um, if that's, if that's the question that ends up getting the most attention that we need to like highlight just as we're playing it back and looking and Mm -hmm. editing and post, um, you know, sometimes that joke isn't going to, be shown because it's not really applicable to what we're trying to do in a short video um but yeah what um the two-part question what was the question people surprisingly kind of came close to getting right and what's the one that they were just the worst at oh my gosh um 
so some of the questions we asked in the very beginning, um, we still ask it every time because they're still wrong every time. Um, you know, like, uh, like the tampon or even like, can you swim with a tampon in or, um, you know, what, why are there different sizes of tampons? You know, vaginal cavity is like the go-to for most people. Yep. Um, and, uh, or, uh, you know, like even does, um, the G spot move, you know, those sort of ones almost every time there's going to be a high percentage that get it wrong. Sometimes we also, we try to mix it up now, which as opposed to what we did in the beginning of like truly just having a conversation with someone to try to get their insight of like why they think the way they do. And, you know, it's tricky with, um, short form content to like, you know, how much can we really put into one episode? If we have like a long nuanced conversation with someone you, you want to get make sure the audience can get that so it's a little tricky right. um but yeah i think that's like what's been interesting there we haven't shown this one i i assume we will though because it is a shocking one of um the same governor's ball one where we were asking about um parental leave and family leave we had people list the countries they thought that that was applicable to or how many and um we didn't get a single person that got it right so um, you know, but it was also everyone had a very strong reaction because that's the thing is when you realize that mostly the only countries that don't really have parental leave that's, um, you know, federally regulated is like these small islands and these very, very um, desolate countries that that makes sense because of just the, the infrastructure of that country. And then there's us. And so it's like when you when you start to see the comparison and also, you know, you're breaking down, um, bringing it down with your own thought process and then it's presented to you. I think that leads to like the shock and the change. So of like realizing, hey, just because this is normal and I don't think about it doesn't mean it's necessarily OK. Um, so, yeah. So those have been really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I will say like we try to lead with simple questions. So, you know, um STDs maybe sometimes people will get them right because I think that's top of mind for some people, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Accurate. They're like, oh, now I'm paying attention. Yeah, um, if it's applicable to them, I think there's a little bit more understanding. <laughs> yeah. It is weird though, like our country versus other countries. And I've had these conversations that not the same topic, obviously, but like just mm -hmm. the nature of us, like we haven't evolved past the industrial revolution when it comes to like work ethic mostly and like where our laws are and who gets leave and what gets leave. But the thing that will always like shock people sometimes, like I'll, I'll be talking to HR people and they will be like, yeah, the company offers uh, eight weeks of paid leave for, for men. I was like, why? What are we doing? What what uh, what are we doing? I mean, great, but can we balance this out? There's some yeah, some weird priorities. But um, John Oliver, this this might have been like a month ago, but when John Oliver was doing an episode on this, he um, I I, I, I want to ask this question, but I got to set it up. So John Oliver talks about there's I believe an Idaho congressman who voted for I think a you know pretty harsh maybe not six week ban but he voted for a pretty harsh women's reproductive right ban, and then he's <laughs> like, well you know what I actually started doing doing a little um, research and people pointed out a couple things to me after I voted on it, and I kind of regretted it because it you know kind of harms people and puts them in a bad position and their safety and there's other issues I didn't consider, and Oliver was like. Should we be happy that he did that or should we still be mad that he did that? Yeah, I, I think that's like something we're all struggling with, right? Is, um, you know, yeah. 
And but I think you know that's part of with our videos. If I can like kind of A to C this a little bit yeah. is um you know there's so much intersectionality of it too. Like when for me and my personal journey of just trying to be a better human being is you know I there's a lot of things I'm really dumb and ignorant about, and I. I'm always kind of trying to check that is like, I'm, you know, just because I'm more well-versed on this specific topic or I care about this topic does not mean it's okay if I have a blind eye to other things or, you know, um, uh, yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I think it's like, you can definitely feel frustrated with that individual for contributing to the problem, mm -hmm. but I think I'm always very much a like, where do we go from here person? So like, okay, yeah. we can't go back. So like, what is, what is the hot mess we're in right now today? And like, can it be fixed? How can we do that? So. Yeah. And are people open to, and I mean, what you've seen in, in your yeah. view even is that people once presented with the information are open to it. Now, I mean, I'm only seeing the front end of it. I don't know how many people <laughs> didn't make the didn't make the cut and weren't. But you know, generally speaking, when people mm -hmm. have exposure to other cultures, have exposure to other people, anything, they tend to you know be a little bit more empathetic. Hopefully, or at least that's the optimist in me. Yeah, I think. Um you know, how humans interact with each other and how like our brains are open to conversation and like how it closes off. So like even with um social media or, you know, when people are debating, you know, how you can get the person to be willing to listen because you can say something in one way and that will mm -hmm. instantly shut them down and make them double yeah. down or you can like find a way to do it in a nicer way. And that's the thing that's really tricky about our videos is we're really well-intentioned, like truly behind the scenes, like we are not trying to just be clickbaity and create problems we really do want to to talk to everybody and also be like fair to everybody um as far as like we want people who are maybe conservative or maybe don't share exactly the same values to watch this and be entertained and then that can lead to like maybe thinking about it in a different way or, or starting a conversation and maybe you don't need to in be involved in our videos like but maybe you'll go research it on your own time or you know think about it outside of your own inner circles so it's tricky i think like we do have a bit of a trojan horse though because like the on the street um style people know what that is they know mm -hmm. they know how that's all set up so it's all familiar and then humor i think the minute you start to laugh about something it i think puts the guard down and then you can like start to think a little bit deeper so it's it's a delicate balance though and we're always kind of trying on the inside to like figure out and make sure it's still working um but yeah, everyone you've listed, like John Oliver and Jordan Klepper and um, Trevor Noah, all these people are like heroes of mine. I think they're really good at balancing that. But I think it's because we need these these mediums and these people to be, you know, handling really uncomfortable topics in these ways. Otherwise, it's just really depressing. And it, and I also yeah. don't think it necessarily leads to help. And if we don't have um, these varying ways of talking about it, you know. Well, and this isn't a false compliment, but very much mm -hmm. in the way of the three that you just mentioned, you do the yeah. exact same thing of being empathetic in dealing with people so that, yes, you're getting comedy, but you are not absolutely destroying that person online for the rest of their life. Like it's the, what you get from it is this person is actually like, oh, they're coming to a realization, right? Um, and it's a realization that we can all collectively have. If I'm taking that test, honestly, I'm getting 40% right. I mean, honestly, my favorite comments are when people are like, wow, I got none of that right. Because I'm like, thank you. I mean, yeah. at least you're thinking about it. So or even when like uh, women like um, cis women yeah. like right on there, like, oh, I didn't know this about my own body. And then you see like five other comments like educating each other about it that are maybe more informed. Like, I love that because it's really 
I don't know. I think, you know, like I said, I do comedy, so I know there's different ways of hitting it. And, it, and sometimes you do need to be harsh and you do need to like hit on something or be yeah. unapologetic. Um, but this is like the, the way I'm able to navigate that feels right to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and you set the tone for it, right? Like when we yeah. when we talked about Clever, Clever has a different tone, and that's the tone that works for that. And that's also mm -hmm. a tone that was really set, you know, twenty years ago by the Daily Show. Like the Daily Show had those things in place. So when Colbert or Oliver or Carell or did it, that was always that. And then he just added another layer to it, which was kind of getting a little bit more in there um, in an age of social media, where you know he really got into people's hearts and minds and feelings and also because he's a fellow midwesterner he can just kind of blend in like i can so i get oh, yeah, that yeah 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 i well actually we were having this conversation when we went to dc and we went to a pro right uh pro life uh rally um i was pretty nervous about it and you know that was something we were talking mm. about because like i i do think people compare our videos a lot to jordan klepper um but i do think he has a power that i don't have as mm -hmm. i am a short female you know talking to men that may yes. have opposing views and um you know if there's a little bit more higher stakes and i think also people are going to you know treat me differently or they're going to like sometimes we do have people i talk with and like i mean i'm a little bit worried for you know i don't i i need to make sure i'm like navigating with this person the right way because they they have opposing views um but they're also a little bit more like they navigate the world in a different way because of how they're you know maybe who they are or their stature or their um them being a, a you know cis straight white male or whatever the thing is so you know i do have to kind of navigate in that way but uh but at the same time i can do it in the way that's authentic to me but i think jordan klepper is also very aware he has that that way of being able to like go into the crowd and look like he belongs you know Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. um, I'm going to blank on it and I'm not even going to Google the research, but Samantha B sent one of her correspondents a long time ago to both those kind of things and Ireland. And that was the first oh. thought I was having in my head. I was like, that is, that is automatically tougher just because of who you are, where you are and, and the situation. And that should be, you know, noticed and validated. Um, yeah, with comedy, mm -hmm. we're in a weird place with comedy. What do you think? Is the content wise, where do you see the opportunities going forward? Where do you see certain things not going as well? Where do you just in general see that landscape shifting and how do you shift with it? Yeah. Um, so I'll just kind of like think out loud and go where Please. the answer comes to me. But um, best podcast it, answer ever, by the way. Yeah, I was gonna. Okay, great. Um, yeah. yeah, I. So this shows it's live. Um, yeah. Uh, regarding this, you know, I think in some ways it's good. Like I think us having this um self awareness and you know, I mean, for me honestly, I always think about. I've always, I was always making jokes and I think that was like a great coping mechanism I had just as an individual growing up. But I distinctly remember my uncle was watching a stand-up special and it, this was like, you know, I was probably in middle school or something at that point. And I don't remember who the stand-up comedian was at that time, but it was very standard stereotypical of that time period of, I think he was just talking about how annoying women were and like, like how just like sex jokes and just like the people he slept with. And I just remember being like, Oh, 
I don't think I would be welcome in that world. And it was just like a subconscious little thought that I had and I just moved on. But I think like as an adult, I recognized that once I started to get into comedy of being like, oh, I'm still holding on to this like this um, past opinion I had of what comedy is or what the standard was at that time. And, you know, I think that had shifted by the time seeing more female comics and more, you know, what is this, like, what is the conversation people can be having and what's okay and what isn't. And I think that will continue to change. I think social media has made it even fast, like quicker that everyone has an opinion on these things and then people can jump on board about what's okay and what isn't. Um, But I think, you know, I I like to hope that we can continue to have like a nuanced conversation about it because we all are growing with it. So I, you know, I do struggle when we, we instantly start to attack a person for like a joke instead of like having a conversation about like, you know, that's not okay, but why isn't okay. And then, you know, let the comedian maybe adjust or self-reflect because I think that's the important thing about art is that there should be some uh, you know, malleability to change and shift and grow because that is kind of the artist's journey. Um, but I mean, I think if you're being not a cool person um, mm. and your character is showing, that will show. Like, you know, that that will speak for itself. Um, but as far as like pushing the envelope or how we talk about maybe difficult topics, I think, you know, I think we should still be able to try and if it doesn't hit, you know, like that's something actually within uh, Roe v. Bros is like, I think that our videos are very much a testament of this specific time period. But I like to hope that like the videos are not going to look um, like they were made in the present day 10 years from now. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the thing is I hope that that will adjust and my comedy and like maybe even how I'm discussing this will continue to change too. So, you know. No, I think that's a wonderful answer. I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways, um and I think there are different layers or different levels to like how egregious like one joke is or piece of comedy is, but we're certain yeah. we're certainly in a, in an era where um it's tough because you know ask anybody who's ever been in comedy and they will say there's no possible way that I can be a hundred percent right a hundred percent of the time for a hundred percent of everyone right you, that 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 is impossible right so then it really does come down to what was your intent are you willing to change are you willing to listen are you willing to evolve um i think that's that's the important part now there are some people i'm not even going to name names on this podcast but there are some comedians that that they they came up in a different era where they're like no i'm an artist and you cannot challenge me and i will never stop and i will double and triple and quadruple down um okay you know, I, I'm all for envelope pushing until it starts to harm. Right? Yeah, same, same. Yeah. And I think there's a spectrum to it. And I think also that yes. that defense mechanism is more of their character than actually the art itself. You know what I mean? Ooh. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And, I, you know, I, I think there's a spectrum on both sides of it, too, because I think we can be overly sensitive to the point where we quiet things that actually should be talked about too so i don't know i don't know but that's the thing i think this is all the human condition and we're all trying to figure it out as we go like i mean the people i grew up with in high school there are so many horrifying things that were normalized and said when i was in high school around me that like i am sure those people are so ashamed of how they behaved like as adults now because those topics are more normalized and talked about like i grew up in the rural south so you know it's just like 
what people were doing when I was much younger. I like to think those people grew and, and you know, that mm-hmm. the image I have of them is not what they are today. But um, I guess that holds truth with art in general, too. Because, like, the, I mean, there's art that people may look back on, like poetry or, you know, even like early talkies or early Disney. And then you look back and you're like, ooh, that didn't age well. Um, you know, but we we still appreciate Disney as it's transformed to new, you know, new pieces today. So, you know, I think I think that if the person's willing to adjust with it, I think it's okay. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, it's almost judging it by the standard at the time. Because like Marcus Collins and I yeah. a few episodes back talked about how we both liked Eddie Murphy in the 80s and mm-hmm. realized we cannot watch that special anymore and laugh at the same things um, or laugh in the same way. And part of that is just the maturity of growing up um, and then growing out of it. And then, you know, just also understanding things better, um, both understanding the world better, but then also, you know, understanding how people should understand people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that part of it um, is true. It's the, the, it's an interesting time in comedy because there are less gatekeepers. So something like this can be, you know, instantly seen and be successful because I'm assuming, you know, if this is, you know, if this is attempted to be made into a show, right. In the conventional sense, then there are a lot of more people in the creative process saying, Ooh, but wait, maybe, maybe we don't do this. Right. And so then, you know, like when you keep that team small and you keep that team empathetic, and nimble, you're allowed to create the exact art that you intended, which I think is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think, um, I mean, we definitely could see this going into more of a long form content show, like in a more network series sort of way. But I think you're right, then it's like, what is it in that space? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think that the, that is a really powerful thing that I wasn't even aware of, of like, you know, that there are no gatekeepers when it comes to social media. And I think, you know, we as a society, and I thought this too, was like, you know, if something goes viral or whatever, it's like, there's no way of, I, there is no way of predicting it or creating it. But I do think there is something about if you create something that is unique and is good quality and says something that others aren't saying, it it will lead to the top. Like, um, I don't know him super well, but I, I went up with uh, Kyle Gordon in the sketch comedy scene and he's just killing it on social media. Um, but he's a great person as far as like, he, he does what he does really well. And like, you, you recognize that. And I think, you know, with that being said, like I have about 10 years of, you know, working in New York city in, you know, as an actor, as a producer, as a writer, um, as a comedian, and then all of our team, everyone had their skills that we brought together. So I think like that's part of the magic too, is everyone was ready when we found this opportunity that made sense to us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it shows too. Like it's not haphazard. Um, so there's kind of this combination of, I was thinking about it when you're talking about 10 minutes ago about, mm-hmm. you know, people viewing female comics. Um, so there's both no gatekeepers and then on the side where it is strongly, you know, it's white guys at 1130 or later yeah. and Taylor yeah. Thomason is getting the slot after Colbert. Um, representation matters, even if it's a slow arduous process um will that help yeah i think a first step always helps i think it's frustrating when it's like oh why is it taking so long to, to you know barrel through but yeah no i think that's super exciting um yeah and actually like one of the first critiques um like i said i had been doing it in a very conventional way with like my personal hustle and 
like my <laughs> art. So I wasn't quite used to having this much attention from strangers and like people just be able to write whatever they want. And one of the first comments that were negative on our videos, someone I think insulted my looks or something like that. And it was a guy. And I was like, that's really interesting. That's this video on bodily autonomy is you telling yep. me what my body looks like. So it was really, and you know, usually that would like, I don't know, I, I'm pretty, I, I care about everyone's opinion. So I, that's something I've been having to navigate is just like, okay, you got to navigate in a healthy way. Um, mm -hmm. But I was like, that was the first one that I was like, oh, that doesn't bother me at all. Because it shows like, you know, if your reaction was that, then it shows this video is pretty effective, you know, um, in what we're trying to do. But yeah, I think that's super exciting about Taylor Tomlinson. I think um, I just hope we can get like maybe more slots in there and, you know, of different types of people too, you know, uh, um, like different body types and different races and you know um uh yeah I, I think like it's a good first step for sure well and what's really interesting to that space is that everybody is of a certain age they're all over 50 i think or close mm -hmm. to it they're all yeah. white guys over 50 basically and they're mm -hmm. going to start retiring and i'm curious if we you know Basically, we're just redoing a model from the 1960s, 1970s or Johnny Carson. We're, we're continuing it. I think the networks are realizing that that is a really expensive model. I think that's mm -hmm. evident in why they're trying to revive At Midnight with Taylor. I think there will be different attempts and different things to tweak and start. And so when they do that, hopefully, yes, there is more diversity. There are more, more attempts. I mean... Hell, Arsenio was popular in the 90s, and we have not had another Arsenio. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. That's it there. I know. I was thinking about that in general. I was having this conversation, and I, I don't – I should do a deeper dive into why it's the way it was, but I just remember in general, like, so many of my favorite shows and everything were um, – uh, black artists, and I, it just <laughs> was like – I didn't even think about it, and then, like, you know uh, – when we started to really have these conversations about like representation, like on a, like a much more normalized daily, you know, let's just talk about all the time uh, because it's important and it's just all around us. I, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't even think about it, but that representation isn't, you know, and even then that was bad. And there was like, mm -hmm. you know, tropes and things like that that were going on. Yeah. But yeah, I like, yeah. Um, I don't know, like family matters and, um, Mm -hmm. uh, Arsenio Hall, like you were saying, and Will Smith was like my biggest crush, I think. But I'm sure if I were to look back on it now with the knowledge I have, I'd be like, oh, there's still a lot of cringe and it's pretty bad and there's a lot to, to work on. So, yeah, I don't know. I think also networks are not as um, uh, creative as we like to think mm -hmm. art, like something in the arts should be. Um, that worked for them for a long time. And I think just in general with streaming and short form content, I think it's going to be a really interesting time in general of how things are going to continue to change. Um, because I think for them, it's like, what does the, like, where is the money and what makes sense to them? And um, if they can see, you know, tangibly that the numbers make sense. And I think that they'll then take chances because they're not chances anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, selfishly, at the Troy Awards, obviously, we want people to be creating all of the awesome content on short form, but understanding mm -hmm. too, like, you know, it's interesting, like, there's going to be a different bar for comedy, like, the there's there definitely exists a space where 
obviously all the networks and all the streamers have realized, oh crap, we shouldn't spend $150 million on this or $200 million on this, or, Hey, maybe, pe maybe people are getting MCU fatigue and maybe <laughs> it might be a good idea to take a chance on the $5 million comedy or, or, you know, the thing, or just multiple, multiple swings at something else and multiple attempts and see what hits. But that has been the good thing about Netflix or other places, right? Like a show like never have I ever probably doesn't mm -hmm. get on the air gets on Netflix, right? Gets yeah, four seasons. Yeah. And then you have the realization that one of the high schoolers is definitely 32 in real life. Yeah. And I think it also shows that it works. Like if you take chances, yeah. it actually works. Like if you create quality content. Yeah. Yeah. If it's quality, like it will, it will succeed. Um, but if you're trying to take the short, you know, the short uh, stereotypical routes mm -hmm. to create the next whatever already exists, then there's a chance that's going to definitely fail. But um, think, yeah. Yeah. I think there's even like a nuance between just a few years of when Fresh Off the Boat gets on ABC and Never Have I Ever gets on Netflix and how much more control Never Have I Ever had of the narrative where Fresh Off the Boat felt like it had to do certain things. And even though it was representation and even though it was close, it felt a little bit more like those things from the 90s where we're like, oh, oh, wait, mm, okay. Like, I think it got away from what the creators and people intended. Maybe not. I don't know. I wasn't there. But generally, from the sense of what was written and, you know, what the cast was talking about, I think that that rang true. That's, that's I, def I definitely agree. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think, like, um, a lot of people can't tell when they look at me. But, I mean, I was raised by my, like, Japanese grandmother. And I'm, like, mixed race and stuff. So, you know, I, I, what I like to think is, like, you know eventually it's going to be we just see mixed race families on like it's not going to be like all, all this or all that or this stereotype or anything it's going to be like really representative of like the america mixing pot that we say that we're so proud of being i think it you know that'll be when i think we've truly mastered what representation is you know yeah to yeah. me when i close these out i do something mm -hmm. called keep it short it is three questions Great. those questions are short your answers do not have to be are you ready i i think so yeah <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm excited they're easier questions than the ones that you ask. I was going to say, we're like 45 minutes in and now I'm nervous. Okay, great. I'm done. No, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. Um, question one, what's next? Um, what's next? Well, we're continuing to uh, develop this. Um, like I said, we're kind of looking at maybe more of a long form content, um, you know, possible networks, things like that. Um, I'm also always producing my own work. I do a lot of improv comedy, um, sketch comedy. And so I'm producing my own stuff as well. Um, I have a potential feature I might be producing next year that's kind of up in the air. Um, and yeah, just continuing to do the work. I have my own podcast as well called The Art of Not Making It, where I interview um, people who are quote unquote successful in entertainment. And we kind of talk about what that actually means because the artist yeah. struggle is not what people I think outside really realize and it's not that glamorous, but like what is actually feeding that person as an artist? Cause there's a lot of ups and downs in between the contracts or the awards. So I would say 95% of it is not glamorous, right? You have no, to, no. You, you have to really want it. Like Yvette Nicole Brown was on here and she, she said, she's like the biggest advice I ever had was never have a plan B because if you don't have a plan B, then when it gets tough, you won't go and have a plan B, which full yeah. circle was something that Eddie Murphy said. Yeah. Well, so, you know, there's, there's yeah. a good, that's a good Eddie Murphyism. Yeah. That's a great Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I totally stand by that. And I think that's the thing too, is like, it's really, really hard. And, um, you know, I, uh, 
I know we said to go to the next question, but regarding um, no, this, your answers I... can be long. Absolutely. Oh yeah, that's right. We did say that, so yeah. I know my rules now. I know my framework. So ground um, rules. yeah, ground rules important. Um, so yeah, I think for me, like I just think heart and soul. I'm like an artist. Like it's just what I I do because it's just ingrained in me. But I many times I'm like, wow, I chose a really hard field. So it's nice to have that community and talk to people about it. And we, we also, in the podcast, we talk to people who are not like just on in front of the camera. Like we talk to writers or producers or choreographers or, um, you know, TV writers, all sorts of things. So it's really interesting to hear like how people fall into those roles as well. So. Yeah. Helpful to get other people's perspective too. It's the same thing with me doing this podcast. Like I am mm -hmm. learning a ton of different things from different people that are applicable. Like every time you spend 30 minutes to an hour with somebody, you learn something, even if it's not directly what you're doing, you know, because there's yeah. something, there's something in common with everybody who tries to create a pursuit for sure. But there's something in common with everything. It's kind of in the nature of, you know, being a person on, on the street doing interviews, you can find commonality, right? Yeah, you can often feel alone, but it's really you're not. We're all feeling the same things. That is the that is an interesting thing because somebody will ask me, "How can I talk in front of twenty thousand people, or how can I feel comfortable just being an absolute idiot in front of seventy five thousand? Uh, one is white male privilege, obviously, and two, <laughs> and two is, yeah, I can just feel alone. I don't yeah. feel yeah. everybody else around. I just, I, I just, just me. I'm not not really i'm like i'm aware of everyone and i'm not trying to like encroach on anyone but yeah I'm not i'm not uncomfortable with that um question two what was the moment that you decided you wanted to go on this very long arduous winding weird struggle and definitely knew this was for you oh gosh okay that's a good question um because i'm a little all over the place so i when i was like very young like three or four I fell in love with music, like just like as w when you're uh, like that young, you're going to react with temper tantrums. You're mm -hmm. going to have like all of your emotions are just big all the time. And I remember I didn't have an outlet to express my anger or my my tantrums or whatever. But if I turned on music and I like just, you know, closed my eyes and just sang to the music or I like just let it kind of take over my body would calm down. And there was like a trick I learned very young that I just loved music and singing. And so, um, you know, I always sang, I had voice lessons starting in middle school and, um, my degree is actually in opera. I thought I was gonna be an opera singer for a long time. Um, but I always also enjoyed acting because it gave me the same high. And when I was in high school, I, I also had a lot of anxiety when I was in high school. Um, I did my first improv because someone moved from LA and brought improv. I think they did the groundlings or something and just like brought that to my little rural town in North Carolina. And I was like the only one really into expressing myself in this way outside of this little small community theater. So it was my first time of finding like improv and like, oh, you can just make bold choices and you'll figure it out as you go and you're safe and you can, you can fail and it'll be fine. Um, so then there was this combination of all that, but I had always studied professionally singing so I, you know, and I got a scholarship. So I went for college for opera, but I'd always been like at my baseline was an actor. Like even in high school, my drama teacher just always gave me the weird characters because they knew I didn't feel uncomfortable doing them. And, and even in opera, like I always played like the characters that were more acting based because they knew I didn't, you know, I wanted to flesh that out and I would take acting classes in the acting program and all that. So what, what I realized is I was like, oh, 
I don't think I just want to be following one art form. And so I moved to New York and just kind of started auditioning and figuring it out. And, you know, I was doing just a lot of like acting and musical theater. And then I found comedy and again with UCB and all that. And I was like, oh, this is where I should be. And also what I love about um, improv and comedy and sketch and stand up and all of that is like what is authentic to you is actually what you're selling. You're not trying to mm -hmm. fit a role that already pre-exists or, you know, um, follow an art form that already has been preset you're kind of creating what that art is and you're, yeah. you're moving forward. And um, that empowerment I felt was really great. And also like I can blend all these different parts of myself. Like, you know, how I was saying I was raised by my Asian grandmother. I can bring that into my comedy. I can talk about these things. And so, um, you know, that kind of led to me enjoying connecting with people, which led to hosting more and the podcast. So the combination of all that I think is where I'm at today. But I think that's also like to go back to what we were talking about earlier in the interview is, um, you know, I think who I am today as an artist is not going to be me five years from now. Like, I think I'm going to yeah. continue to morph. I think I'm going to have different roles. I'm going to continue playing. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that, that journey. So, yeah. Um, thank you for doing my work for me that you gave me the segue to question number three, but before I get there, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, I mean that actually, no, let's go right there because <laughs> I had a thought and then I lost it, but it is exactly if something that currently exists right now that you can see or something that you can envision for the future what is it exactly you want to be doing in five years in who uh just because i said i have like a multi-hyphenate i'm like whoa uh i would love there's a couple things i would love in my five-year plan so um i would love to be focused on film as far as storytelling, whether that is a show, like a TV show, whether that is a feature, um, I want to be also producing and writing and like being involved in the storytelling of that. Um, I, I, like I said, always come from acting first and the hosting and all that is me just connecting with an individual, talking to them, using my improv skills. But, you know, I do really love that aspect and I would love to incorporate that as well into the work that I'm doing. Um but I also am wanting to write a musical. So I'm hoping within the five years that musical will be done. And uh, we've done some readings on it and all of that. But, you know, with Roe v. Bros, that's the thing is like the goal is for this show to be redundant and not like or not redundant, but like not need to exist anymore. So I think yes. like having that continue to evolve um, five years from now, if Roe v. Bros is of existence, I want it to have evolved in a way that's maybe more universal. I mean, we were talking about like Taylor Tomlinson and like late night mm -hmm. shows. Maybe it's more of a late night segment or it's something, you know, like mm -hmm. like a daily show sort of segment or something. It's like incorporated more into the the general conversation of that time period. Um, yeah. I think you gave the right answer because it, especially when it comes to causality or doing anything with a cause. Uh, eventually mm -hmm. you want to be put out of business in some ways, right? Or at yeah. least the purpose. I mean, yeah. You you mm -hmm. personally do not, but the, the cause itself, you eventually want it to not be necessary because if you've done a really great job, it is not. Yeah, or it should evolve in whatever, like we yeah. could keep moving forward. Like how I was saying, like what's the next step? So I think like, you know, this is where it needs to be right now because this is where we as a society is and how we need to address it. But Five years from now, I hope we're not having the same conversation and the same things are the, no. the same shock, you know, or emotional response. So uh, we'll see. We'll and see. That is the that is the correct follow up because there will always be room for this conversation because there's a lot of oh, yeah. room to grow. Oh, yeah. Lot. Humans. 
humans were so dumb. We'll find new reasons to be dumb. Like, let's just like, you know, hopefully move past this dumb moment and go to the next one. Yeah. Let's do less dumb things, but we'll still do yeah. dumb things. Yeah. Yeah. We repeat, we repeat history, but let's try to repeat the bad stuff less, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, let's leave it at that. Thanks so much. Yeah. Tiffany. Oh yeah. This was great. Thank you, Jeff. If you haven't started watching Roe v. Bros yet, start. They're only a minute long. You'll understand more how Tiffany has a gift to make the absurd relatable, to resist the one-liner, even though she has great ones, to create an even better story, even better content. It's cliche as all hell to say that luck is where preparation meets opportunity, but the fact that Tiffany absolutely took this opportunity and ran with it, it's no fluke. And that's the name of this original podcast from the Shorty Awards. It's hosted by me, Jeff Barrett, produced by Jumi Ansoon, covered episode art by Chelsea Shizano, research and editing by Vinshika Chudavedi. Special thanks to all the bros willing to learn in real time, even more to those who vote to protect rights every woman should have. If you like this show, please leave a five-star review, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback or guest recommendations, send an email to info at shortywars.com or DM Shorty Awards on Instagram. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.